This episode, titled Stop Buying Almond Milk, originally aired on Patreon on January 15th, 2020. Hey, all you hive jive junkies out there, it's that time again. Join our hosts, John Swan and Ken Milam, for another bonus edition of The Hive Jive. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I have no idea where this is starting or ending, but if you're just joining us, welcome and welcome to Patreon. Good morning. And uh, if you are listening to this and and hearing our beautiful voices this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you happen to be listening to it tomorrow, yesterday, whatever, um, thank you very much for being a patron of the show. We greatly appreciate it. And that being sure you can put as many E's in that B as you want. But we definitely appreciate it. You guys have asked us, uh, you know, several times, how can we contribute and participate and do other things for you guys to help out? And you're you're always clamoring for more content. And so we did break down for this season and decided to go ahead and do Patreon and put it out there. And you have multiple tiers to choose from. And this will be your very first bonus episode on the Patreon platform that you will get for paying for the $5 tier and up on monthly patronage. And again, we definitely appreciate that. And we are we are just kind of in the middle of randomness this morning. We're sitting in the studio eating more fruitcake. And yes, it is 2020. And yes, we still have fruitcake because Ken is still baking it. Oh yeah, I got baked some more too. <laughs> He has changed the recipe for all of those who were trying desperately to figure out what it was and was taking notes through the different episodes last year. Um, (laughs) He went and switched it. Yeah, I made it a whole lot. I mean, that's the best I've ever made. It is pretty good. It is definitely pretty good. And uh, this one is made with all honey, no sugar. No no sugar in that one. And it is very tasty. Um, Yes. But... Cut the sugar back. I'll use two thirds. No, cut the honey back. Use two thirds cup of honey to a cup of sugar. Yeah, you got to find out your ratio to to do the replacing, and then also keep in mind honey is oh, partially I, liquid, so you I have had to, to find. I found out that. something. Uh huh. I had to cut my sugar, my honey back even more because mine is an award winning sweet honey. So I had to cut it back more because mine's sweeter than sugar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> John says, okay. I happen to know where the honey came from. That you yeah, used I know this, you did. And you don't I'm, have to tell anything. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to sit here and look at you. Yeah, because with my, a judgmental my bees expression. Aren't making honey yet. <laughs> and, uh, it's wintertime. Nobody's bees are making honey. Well, I know, but I didn't have bees to make honey for last fall. <laughs> and so it'll be this fall before I really make the award winning Ken Milam honey. Uh, honey fruit cake. Now, I was going to say that uh, nobody's bees are making honey unless you live in Australia because it is their summertime there. And so they are in the midst of their honey flow and their nectar flow and everything. But unfortunately, they are also in the midst of a bunch of terrible wildfires. And yes, so if you listen are. to the main segment today or if you've seen our posts on Instagram and Facebook, um, you guys, ob- obviously, if, you, if you're paying attention to social media or the news or anything in general, you know that Australia is going through a really hard yes. time. 
Um, you heard us talk about it on the main segment, and you've seen the video and stuff out there on Instagram and Facebook. But just to recap real quick, in case you guys do want to help out, there are a ton of different organizations out there that you can do. Um, you know, there is specifically things that, that are very familiar to us here in the States, like the Red Cross and Salvation Army. They have mm-hmm. divisions that are specifically for Australia, and they have relief programs going on for the fires and for the people. But one of the bigger things that that is concerning to me about Australia is the fact of all of the unique wildlife that is down there. Australia itself, as the continent, has so many creatures and critters that are extremely unique and can only be found there. And it's very sad and very devastating to think that these fires are are just devastating all of that area and potentially eliminating species. And that is very, very upsetting. So when we went through and we pulled up our list of the different places that you guys can support and donate to to help with these different issues, I kind of narrowed it down to ones that were specific for nature and wildlife instead of you know, just like the Red Cross specifically, um, we went in. And so just to recap again, real quick for you guys, if you would like to make a donation to help out with the efforts that are going on currently right now in Australia, you can do the Wires Wildlife Rescue, the Koalas in Care, the Rescue Collective, New South Wales Rural Fire Service, and the Victoria County Fire Authority. Those different organizations specifically are going to be very fine-tuned for Australia And they're going to be able to go through and they're going to be able to help the animals as well as the individuals and the people. And there are there are a lot of beekeepers that have been affected. And it uh, it saddens Ken and I both. Um, We we have some plans for some things that we wish were now like a few months further down the road so that we could do something um, for everybody. But unfortunately, at the moment, the best thing you can do is is to donate to these different charity Mm -hmm. and uh relief efforts and help everybody out there. So we did want to get that in real quick, just as a reminder so that you guys have, you've heard it and you've heard it again and you've seen it. And we just kind of want to beat that into everybody's heads. Please help out if you can, anything that you can give to these people will be desperately, desperately needed and appreciated. Yes. (sighs) What do you think I was going to say more? No, No. it was just a, it's a sad, sad thought. It is. It really is. I mean, how many besides the millions of animals that are getting, they're either they're either getting killed or they're getting displaced. Yeah. Their habitats being ruined. So the bees, now, now bees, of course, they can move, but if it's moving fast enough, they can't. Yeah, they. It, it really depends. They the the whole point of like when we do beekeeping and we do the smoker, the it it does alarm them because in the wild, if they're living in the cavity of a tree mm-hmm. and there's a fire coming, they smell that smoke. That's mm-hmm. why they turn around and they start gorging themselves on honey and nectar is because they're that planning that they're going to have to to evacuate. They'll abscond. They'll just take the whole thing and abscond. So that's why they start that process. Yes, it does cover up their pheromones and it helps dissipate like the alarm pheromones. So when you go through to do an inspection, they're not as riled up. But that that process is a process that has occurred in nature that they've evolved to respond to specifically on gorging the food and then evacuating the home. But they do need a little bit of time. And if the fire is moving drastically quick and catches around them before they can get out, even as they fly out, the fire is going to singe their wings and they're done for. So if they don't get out of there ahead of time, if they can feel the heat coming and it's moving slowly, yes, they can escape it. But if it's moving quickly, nope. they're doomed. Nope. They'll they'll be trapped in the tree and then that's it. They're they're done for. Or in their hive. If they're in even in a proper hive. There's been some places that I've seen online where entire apiaries 
wow. were in the middle of wow. some of these fires and and they've been just engulfed and now they're done for. So there's a slim chance that some of those bees did abscond out of there and that colony is hanging on a branch somewhere in safety, hopefully. But unfortunately, for the most part, it's just devastation all the yeah, way across the board. There's nobody going to be there to find them. Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean... There could be there. There could be uh, beekeepers yeah, out there that start be. finding random random swarms and colonies and things here and there yeah, and like trying to I help will them. Be this spring. <laughs> <laughs> but that's in the regularly scheduled season. Um, man, but yes, it's it is tough indeed, and and uh, um, yeah, we're we're very saddened by all of these events, and and just again, if anybody can help for any reason, even if you can just give a dollar, please do so. Every little bit helps. And, and in a situation like this, especially for a beekeeping type situation, you can't send them anything. You can't send no. them bees. You can't send them hives. You can't send them equipment because a lot of the, if it's bees and used equipment specifically, the import export is actually locked down. That's how you transmit diseases. That's how people get things like varroa mite. So yeah. that can't be done. So honestly, the best thing you can do anytime there's a disaster relief program out there, the best thing to do is food. Or sorry, not food. <laughs> I'm looking at food. Oh. The best thing to do is money. Um, even if you want to send food and you want to send other things, it it may not necessarily make it. It's perishable. There's all these other issues with it. Money is the best thing because then they can buy specifically what they need to help with the rehabilitation and the rescue efforts. And I'm going to stop on that because I'm still staring at food. <laughs> Eat dress that damn cake. <laughs> so you went on a uh, a random tangent shopping spree. Uh, you did. <laughs> so for everybody out there, this is this has become the classic Ken fashion of how this works. I get a phone call, and he says, "What do you think about essential oils?" And, yeah, uh, you know, you go through and, and we can make them and we can do all this stuff. And so I, I tell him, I was like, well, you can do something. Yes. But is it required or a necessity? No. I said, like, in the long run, it's actually a lot more work than it might necessarily be worth. There are some benefits that have been shown in, in different aspects and stuff. But I've kind of turned to where I do more of a tea instead of using the essential oil. I'll make a tea out of the plant itself. And and I was like, so ultimately, save your money. Don't don't necessarily mess with it. And he's like, OK. Calls me back <laughs> like three or four days later. Man, I really should have talked to you before I spent all that money. And I was yeah. like, you did talk to me. And he goes, I know, but I had already ordered it. <laughs> yeah. I ordered $140 worth of essential oils. I've got clove oil. I've got thyme oil. I've got uh, cinnamon oil. I've got lavender oil. I've got tea tree oil, peppermint oil, spearmint oil. <sighs> What else? <laughs> and I, but I, but I only bought a few of the. I only bought a few uh, of the tea tree. I bought four ounces of the spearmint. I bought four ounces of the wintergreen. Maybe four ounces of that. Maybe it was spearmint. One of the others, but and but the rest of them only about two ounces. Uh, I have, and then of course you says, well, Ken, you can't mix all with water. Okay. Oh, I've already bought them all fire too. So, so yeah, I've got it all. 
And I even then John says, "Well, you know that uh, essential oils will eat plastic." Yeah, <laughs> I've got a Black and Decker glass blender, so yeah, I already knew that. Yeah, yeah, you, you knew that. I, yeah, so. <laughs> Now you have all these essential oils, yes, and there are lots of different recipes and things out there. Mm-hmm. You should definitely be careful with the amounts and the quantities and the certain types. Um, wintergreen specifically, mm-hmm. wintergreen can be used. There's a, a lot of recipes that'll leave it in there or have it in there, and it's the purpose of it is a mite control, and it will it'll kill a mite, but a mite's an insect, and so is the bee. So and it is a very strong smell. So is, yeah, so is the tea tree oil, and so is thyme and the clove. Clove, And so a lot of these recipes, they will list certain things in there, like the thyme, right? Well, thyme is the the main ingredient in... Yes, thymol. Thymol, yeah, thymol. And and that's the main ingredient in one of the... Mite controls one of the or the organic Epigard. mite treatments, Epigard, and Epigard, Epigard is like when <laughs> if it is used and it is hot as uh, Ken experienced last year. Um, they it left by God, they, that stuff stinks. Yeah, it'll 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 smell bad enough that the bees will potentially abscond and leave the colony. Yeah, but did. also the frames and the comb still smell like thyme. They still smell like the thymol and. That's uh you know that's drastically removed from when we actually went and did the treatment and everything. So it can be a very touchy thing. Um, mint is very very appealing to the bees. It seems to kind of help draw them in and help help them take the the liquid faster. Um, but the whole concept of it is when when people come up with these different recipes is that you're trying to add back in some of the amino acids and the proteins and all too. of the the good living well, not living but the good building blocks of life that would be found in nectar because the nectar isn't just water and sugar it does have other things in it and the pollen has other things in it as well you get these amino acids you get these fatty acids you get minerals you know there's all this good stuff that can be found in there and then when the bees are eating that they're then also getting some of these benefits so by adding the essential oils in you're trying to balance that back out and add things out but we don't know really what like what they need we can do these you can't get a one a day pill for a bee well i mean not really because <laughs> you, you go through and you watch it like you can see oh they took this mixture way quicker than they did the other one and it could just be because of the smell of that specific mixture we don't necessarily know that there was something in it that they drastically needed um so it's it's tricky but Doing the essential oils, you do have to emulsify it. You've got to blend it down drastically and make it a solid suspended solution at all times. Because if not, and the oil separates, when they drink down that sugar water and then they get to the layer of oil, it will kill the bees. Like it'll straight up fry them. Five minutes at high. We'll emulsify oil. With the emulsifier in it. Yeah. Otherwise, it will just make it tiny and it'll mm-hmm. eventually separate back yeah, out. Eventually, but with yeah. the emulsifier, with the soy leaching in there, it'll... And there is, see, I also have an aversion to, like, the soy aspect of things, too, because soy, a lot of times, is drastically genetically modified. And so then you're adding things back in there that you shouldn't. And it kind of comes back to our, our main segment this week where we were talking about doing the solid feed for bees and, you know, the, the do's and don'ts of some of the things that you can do for that. And one of those is avoiding sugars that could have a lot of genetic modification or other things added to them because those are not necessarily good for the bees either. So it can become very tricky, but you can use the essential oils in some of those recipes that we talked about mm-hmm. 
to add a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of encouragement for them to eat it and then also have some beneficial aspects in there to it as well. But you still have to emulsify it and then you have to add the tiny amount just like you would for your feeder and put it in there. So basically, I think all of this will will equate over to maybe um, a, a main episode in the springtime where we'll go through and maybe talk about making your own honeybee healthy and using these essential oils and we can do some videos and stuff and and show kind of like the different mixtures that we've done how we put it together you got the stuff i got the stuff you definitely have the stuff so we'll we'll have to uh to work on that so um have you looked at your bees lately Mm -hmm. yeah from the front porch staying out there peeking in well, you told me I didn't have to open them up till next month, the end of this month or next month. Uh, that's true. And um, you fed yours last week. The, uh, the 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 way that things work, I have learned is just because I told you something doesn't mean you did it or didn't do it. <laughs> I looked at them. So I'm just curious. It was a trick question. <laughs> uh, we're supposed to, but we were 70 degrees yesterday. I should, but it was blowing Dude, like yesterday. Hell. We had these was not storm. moving yesterday. No, they were no, no, not moving. They they knew that that storm was coming in, and they were like, "No, we're good." Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, at the house, um, I still have the little mating nukes that have, like, we used to rear our queens. And I still have three of them in the backyard there at the house. And I've been going through and just kind of monitoring them, checking them and everything. And all of a sudden on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, they I've had dry pollen substitute out there in my little makeshift feeder starting to eat it. for a month. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they showed up on Wednesday, yep. and they started taking the, the pollen again. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And it kind of made me wonder, like, why? What was the driving force behind them going through and, and wanting to do that? So it's just really, I mean, it's it's cool um, to see how, how the ebb and flow of different things work. But for us, it has been upper 60s, lower 70s pretty much every single day. Mm-hmm. Plenty warm enough for the bees to go out. They are still finding natural pollen. Uh, if you go out there in in the morning when it's warm not enough, in my country. not in your country, they are here in town and east of town. So, but that's also a big dividing line. You're out there in the hill country and rocky land. To the I'm in prairie land. land. Yeah, they love dandelions. Well, we got dandelions, little yellow flowers, mm-hmm. but I ain't seeing them going to them. Yeah, it might it could just be the time of day and things like that too, though. But they, yeah, dandelions are actually a saving grace in the spring mm-hmm. because they're just now coming on. Yeah, they just start coming mm-hmm. up. They provide pollen and nectar, mm-hmm. so that is a very good thing for the bees. Now, in a weird little twist, if a bee's diet solely consisted of dandelion, they would actually be nutritionally deficient because it's it's a subpar pollen. But in the greater scheme of things, if it's the only thing out there, it is a saving grace and a lifesave. So if you fed them dandelion and ultra bee, they'd be doing good. Because <laughs> of the ultra bee. Yeah. <laughs> Mine are, by the way, mine have been hitting the pollen hard for about two weeks now. The one up by the house or the one out by the bees? Uh, the one by the bees. They emptied it and I filled it. I didn't fill it. I put maybe 10 pounds and I drove up on it the other day and they were hitting it hard. Good. So, I don't know. So, there's there's a little bit of a fine line that kind of has to be walked with certain things and if you do start supplementally feeding your bees Mm -hmm. they're going to start raising brood and if they start raising a lot of brood prematurely then you have to keep feeding your bees because (laughs) the more bees they have to feed then the more food they need and that's where all of a sudden we can come into a problem for us in february there's always this drastic drop in temperature and when that occurs if they have 
twice the amount of mouths to feed that they had a month ago, but no food because they're feeding twice the amount of bees, they will freeze and die. So that means this these feral colonies that I've been feeding the hell out of at the house. Oh, you're I got to quit. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to put, start putting the the honey of the sugar back out. Well, no, because if you do. Now you're artificially feeding. Like the pollen is one thing. Yeah. They're going to naturally go and they're oh, going to they, forage they for the pollen on their own. They clean that up in a heartbeat. Yeah, but they're they're going to naturally go and forage for that on their own. The It's the the sugar feed that you got to be careful with. Yeah, the two to one. I was feeding that up to about a week and a half ago. Yeah. it it mm, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say. That I wasn't feeding it heavy. I was only feeding them two quart jars a day. And they were empty, you know. So what what he's referring to is also it's open feeding. And yeah. uh, open yeah. feeding is a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Um, when you feed a sugar substitute or even honey or anything like that, if you open feed it, there are some, some rules and some things that need to be considered in there. And there is some very stark, um, man, like the the battle lines are drawn <laughs> basically there is one group that is you should absolutely never open feed because if you do you're causing all of these other problems and it can range from not so one you're identifying if you feed too close to your hives you're going to potentially start robbing and even if you're feeding far away from your hives it can still potentially start robbing because they find that there's food out there and they're going to start looking everywhere to find food and if they find a weak colony that has food that colony could be overtaken they'll rob all the food out of it and then you'll lose that colony so that's number 1 so i you know, i always say if you're going to open feed you need to make sure that it is a minimum of 100 foot from the nearest hive and not in a direct line with any other hives preferably i would say 50 yards if you possibly can, away yeah, from the easy. nearest we'll put them on the other side of the field. Yeah, yeah. For you, for some people in town, that's not the case. Like, it's in their backyard, and even if you put it in their front yard, they may only have 50 foot or 100 foot, you know, between those two things. So, um, but that's that's the number one concern. After that, you're also feeding a bunch of other stuff. You're bringing in other types of pollinators and other predators for pollinators. So you'll get wasps and other critters that'll come in, and they'll want to feed from that as well. And then in addition to that, now that you have these other things coming in, if you get a predator in there, like a wasp, well, you are then alerting the predator to where a food source is for your bees. And so they can come in and they can start eating your bees or attacking your colonies from that. And then lastly, the bigger concern is it is a great place to transmit diseases and mites because you've got all of these bees from all these different places all clumped together desperately trying to feed and the mite can go from one bee and jump over onto the other bee and then it goes back to that colony that may not have had a problem or didn't have as big of a problem and now they're getting extra mites or diseases that that colony had that the other colony didn't um so it can be a real challenge now the other side of that field you gotta have essential oils put with the feed well on the, on the other side of this debate are beekeepers that are like while it is not ideal sometimes it is the only thing that you can do because you can't necessarily open your hives at certain times of the year or they may be like in some cases nuke boxes that don't have any type of feeder that you can put in there or you may want them to be able to take in some sort of food at a time when it may be warm enough for them to do so but you don't want to necessarily put it directly in the hive like there's there's all kinds of random things there's also like when we go out and we do um, some of our removals and stuff 
we a lot of times will take some of the excess that we can't use for any other reason and we will put it out in the middle of 40 acres and we will let them come and rob out that honey and take it back. Now, can that cause problems? Yes, it can because we don't necessarily know the true health profile of the colony that came from. Although I can tell you when you're doing the removal, you can see, do they have viruses? Do you see a lot of deformed wings? Are you seeing mites on the bees? Um, is the colony strong and healthy or is the colony petering out? Because if it's strong and healthy, there's likely not anything wrong with the honey and the nectar that they've gathered. But if they're petering out, there could be, they could have been poisoned. There could have been lots of things done with that. And so a lot of it comes to just being responsible, making an educated guess about that kind of stuff and, and doing, you know, what you will with it. But for the podcast, um, really it comes down to, we give you guys the information, we let you know the pros of it, we let you know the cons of it, and then you guys make your own decisions on what is best for you, best for your bees and best for your situation. Is open feeding the best thing out there? No. Does it sometimes help when nothing else, you know, there's not necessarily anything else you might have been able to do? Yes. So it's kind of a tricky situation. Um, you pointed out that a lot of the people on YouTube and, and online that you go through and this visit, show. they all, yeah. not only do they do it, they also teach you how mm -hmm. to go through and do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Five-gallon feeders. Yeah. So, it, you know, I mean, it, it just kind of is what it is. But I did, I got reamed the other day on social media for that because I put some chunks of honeycomb out. And I did it right there at the house in the backyard where we just have those three little small hives. And those bees very quickly, within an hour, had oh, consumed yeah. all the honey that was in the comb and they took it back in other colonies. And my thought process on it was I have these small nuke boxes that do not have any way to do an internal feeder because they're a top bar nuke. Right. So there's no way to put an internal feeder in there. The whole box is full of comb and bees. There's there's no space for it. And there's, there's no a way to put on a little top bar nuke. There's no, not a way to do an internal feeder. Now I do have some nuke boxes that are built with a feeder that is automatically built into the side of it. So I can put a jar on the outside. I do have some of those, but not always and not always are they in use. And so I, my thought was, well, you know what? It's a beautiful day. It was 78 that day. And so I took the comb and I, I, it was chunks of honeycomb from when we do our bottling for our chunk comb honey and our, our comb in the raw kind of stuff. When we trim the comb to fit inside the bottle, there's usually really nice, pretty chunks that would go great on like a cheese board, but they won't really fit in a jar or they, they were the excess from it. And I took all those out, put them on a little platform far away from all of the bees so that they could then triangulate and come to this and, and take it. They found it before I was done even putting all the comb out there. And within an hour, they had eaten everything and it was all gone. And I took a couple videos. One of them explained what I was doing. The other video showed the aftermath, like as they were robbing it and taking it all out of there. And I got chastised hardcore. You know, how dare you go through and, and you know, not only show this, but encourage other people to do it. And, and again, it was one of those fine line situations where I was like, well, look, there's literally no way I can put food into those hives. But I've got honey that came from these same hives that was their honey. So right. I know that it's good. It's not going to give them anything that they didn't already have. Right. And I can put it out there and they can take it. And since how it is ripe honey, they can put it directly into their colony and they don't have to process it. They don't have to dehydrate it down. They don't have to do this other stuff. They just put it in there, cap it up and call it good. Mm -hmm. And, but again, you know, there's, there are, there are differences out there for sure. Um, you just kind of, kind of do what is right for you sometimes. So the ones that raised hell at you, they believe that the, that commercial beekeeping is a great thing that they're sending bees to 
uh, f- take care of the almond growers no. <laughs> because all the almond growers have to feed internally or with top feeder zone. I mean, yeah, but but uh, <laughs> I know I just got you, you mashed. How, how many people did I just get upset? Well, them? no, no, but you you mashed so many things together there, you couldn't even qualify that. Um, <laughs> but it, but so would the individuals who lashed out at me? Um, think that commercial beekeeping is the best solution? No. No. Not in any way whatsoever. Regardless of how they're feeding, Mm -hmm. they would find fault with a thousand other things in there that Mm -hmm. that go along with that. Um, I'm going to go off on another tangent that is separate from... Is this a John tangent? This is... I mean, the whole last thing was a John tangent. Okay. um, So apparently today is my day to be off and left filled with stuff. I'll get started. Well, it was it was what you said <laughs> about the commercial beekeeping and, and what they do and like how those people would potentially support it. All my buddies, they're already gone. Well, the people that I know, they're, yeah, they're, they're already they're sent their down, bees gone. They're, they're down. Some of them are already in Florida prepping for, or not Florida. <laughs> Some of them are already in California, California. prepping for the almonds. Yeah. Um, others are getting ready to go and start heading that direction because the almond bloom, it can happen anytime, usually like mid to late January, early mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. And so they're already getting down there and getting prepped and and man it, it's it's almost bizarre to think that it's already that time of the year again yeah but oh so my you tangent, take off on your yeah tangent. yeah my, I got my, another tangent my tangent on that when you take a step outside of beekeeping mm-hmm. so remove yourself from beekeepers for a mm-hmm. moment food right mm-hmm. you look at individuals and you look at um <laughs> so there is a stark divide when it comes to like veganism right versus other types of things mm-hmm. i will go back and forth on dietary for health reasons mm-hmm. sometimes i will do like pescatarian well i'll do eggs and i'll do fish but i won't do any dairy or any other meat products sometimes i will do as quote unquote the nutritional aspect of it more of a vegan diet where I don't do any animal products, but I mean that literally as an animal product that like milk and meat and, and whatnot. Sometimes. Really? Sometimes. You I'll go live all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'll go back and forth through those things, right? Well, when you look at the the actual, so you've got veganism as a dietary thing, mm-hmm. and then you've got veganism as the crazy ass cult of religion that states, you know, oh, this is those. where you shall not and do not and how dare you, right? Do you know what the what vegan is? It, it comes from a... <laughs> Our, our ancestral I hunters. You said this once. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's vegan is a <laughs> bad hunter. Bad hunter. Yeah, <laughs> somebody who couldn't catch food, so he had no other choice. Um, so here's my point with that. And I love you, vegans. I do not prescribe to the doctrine or the religious fanatical viewpoints of that. And whenever. There was a. What there was saying, a. Uh, he wants to eat a big old damn ribeye no, about no, no, an inch no, no, and a quarter. No, 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 thick. no, no, no. The religious, do. pragmatic, dogmatic, whatever viewpoints of things, mm-hmm. piss me off, because you have. There was a company out there that made a honey substitute, and it was called Bee Free Honey. H O N E E. And you weren't having to hurt the bees to have it made. Yeah, you did. Oh, you damn. did not have to. You didn't harm any bees. <laughs> You did not take advantage of any bees. You were not stealing from the bees to make this honey. However, their primary ingredient in this honey is apples. And guess what the bleepity bleep pollinates apples? Uh, bees. Honey bees. Yeah. So their main product that they're putting in there is needing to be pollinated by that. 
What else are some of the favorite foods of a vegan? Almond milk. Well, yeah, almond milk, and I thought <laughs> that was my tangent. You just took it away yeah, from me. Almond milk. How many in the in the uh, video that we watched? Mm-hmm. How many more millions of acres is turning oh, into want almond? To. Yeah, so it already takes literally almost yeah. every commercially managed colony in the United States moving to California to pollinate all of them yes. freaking almonds, so you guys can have your almond almond milk. milk. But yet you're going to turn around and you're going to say, oh, but, you know, you guys are enslaving the bees and you're stealing from them and it's your fault of all this. But I'm going to go out and buy five more gallons of almond milk for this week. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? You and supporting almonds and supporting that are the reason that 40 to 50 percent of the bees died every year because they got taken on these commercial rants and and doing these things. My God, we're getting on a rant now together. This is a separate thing. Commercial beekeepers, I'm apologizing. This rant is not directed towards you, no, it's although not. it's going it's, to sound bad because I'm saying 40 to 50 percent of the colonies. But the point of it is you have some of these people out there that go and they don't think and they run their mouth and they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Bees are responsible for also pollinating your mm-hmm. avocados. No bees, no avocados. Mm-hmm. No bees, no almond milk. No bees, mm-hmm. no apples to make your bee-free honey. Mm-hmm. If you are a backyard beekeeper mm-hmm. and you have one hive— mm-hmm. You can go through and manage that hive, and you can extract that honey, and Mm -hmm. if you are cautious, you can do it all without squishing a single bee. Mm -hmm. You also, if you are a responsible beekeeper— But you're going to get stung by God. Not necessarily. If you are a responsible beekeeper, you may—not may. If you're a responsible beekeeper, you should also leave them plenty of honey to make it through the summer dearth and make it through the winter. You're only taking the excess. If you have a colony that makes a ton of honey— and you don't take any of it from them, that colony could potentially actually die out because they can they no longer guard bad. all of that. Right. They shrink down in size. Other things move in there and rob it out and eat it, and then the colony either absconds or it slowly peters out. Like, there's lots of other problems that can occur mm-hmm. because of the situations that, yes, we as humans have put the bees into by putting them into artificial containers that allow more space and all that. But it's like they don't understand the consequences of some of their words and actions when it comes to the greater scheme of things mm-hmm. by supporting the almond industry. Currently, yes, you are also supporting all of these other farmers and everybody else. But if it's already taking every managed colony in the United States to go out there and pollinate the almonds, why on earth do you want to triple the size of the almond orchards? Yeah. We don't have the bees to do it. We don't, we cannot support it. It is an unsustainable practice and it's ridiculous and, and there's no feral bees there to help. No. And there are no, there really are hardly any honeybees in California that are not shipped in and out. Some of them will move up into the mountains, but you have a very small amount of them there. And part of that is because when the bees almonds are not like in bloom. live in California. Yeah, because when the almonds aren't in bloom, there's that nothing to eat. why they're moving to Texas? <laughs> not the bees either, I'm saying. I won't get it started. They, there's nothing to eat when the almonds aren't in bloom. Okay. They take all the undercrops out. They do all this other stuff to them because well, they yeah. just want the almond tree. So then there's no blooms for the bees to sustain them any other time of the year. Once the almonds are done blooming, it's a desert Everybody waste. Everybody loads them food. up and they go to yeah. the uh, You got to move to the next place. Now, if you guys have seen the movie The Pollinators, you do know that the commercial beekeepers are just doing what they have to do to survive. They're trying to adapt and accommodate with where agriculture has gone. Mm-hmm. And it's the only way that we can continue producing the agricultural crops the food as we, we do it. food that we need as many people as there is in the United States. It's the food that we need to do it. Well, the is it, bees though, are, I mean, is it, do we really need 
that many almonds? No, we don't need that many we almonds. We could have some almonds. Yeah, I just like the smoked almonds. Now, <laughs> now, if you have the smoked almond tree, you can have all the damn bees you want. I will even send mine to help. <laughs> but it's the smoked almond tree, not the plain unsalted almond tree. Yeah, I, but it's just, it's one of those like guys it's not it's not sustainable it, and you need to stop and then if you're going to also if you're going to be somebody that's going to be very doctrinated into a certain thing like an eating habit that you've turned into a religion um watch what you say and do your research because you can't you can't chastise all beekeepers because we are trying to help the bees and keep them alive mm-hmm. and yet you're saying that we're trying to kill them while you turn around and go buy more products that are solely done by bees <laughs> and if a beekeeper didn't put those bees out there and do that you wouldn't have that product. So speak with your wallet and stop buying those kinds of things if you truly believe that it is a problem. Yeah, and I found out, you know what's even harder on them than almonds? Blueberries. Blueberries. Blueberries are harder on them than almonds because blueberries are in such small little groups or fields that and they do, the blueberry farmers don't work together like the almond guys do they'll tell okay we're I'm, I'm i'm poisoning this bunch so y'all need to shut your bees down over here the blueberries they're like 50 acres or 20 acres and a bee's going to travel a what mile and a half to two or three miles preferably a mile or less is their preferred but they can go two three if they have to so the blueberry guys, they're even harder on the bees than the and almond guys. Yeah, the, the blueberries are harder on bees because of all of the toxins and chemicals mm-hmm. and pesticides that are put on the blueberries to make them to big give and you that yeah fat, pretty berry without mm-hmm. a speck of anything on it. Uh, Same thing fact, with the apple orchards. Yep. The apple orchards not only um, is it hard on the bees because of those other issues, but the bees also they go out and they start pollinating. The apple orchards want the king bloom. They want that first big flower yep. and not the little ones around it because that big flower is going to make the biggest apple. Yep. So then they spray seven on it to kill all the rest of the blooms except for the king bloom. Mm-hmm. And so seven, have, by the way, is a poison. Mm, is a poison that kills everything. Mm-hmm. And then your bees, if there are still bees nearby, and that's what you were talking about, the neighboring, you may have an apple orchard over here that their bees have already come and gone, mm-hmm. but the apple orchard next to them, their bees just showed up. Mm-hmm. Those bees are still technically pollinating both orchards, but this other farmer, he doesn't care. His time clock says he's yep. got to go. He sprays that farm, and then those bees that come over from the other farm to pollinate it, they all die. Yep. Um, it is, it's tragic. It really is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, these guys, they work hard to keep those bees alive, and then... They do the best that they can, but yes. un- unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's all for naught, because everything and everyone else sometimes is working against them. That fruitcake's pretty damn good, ain't it? fruitcake is good. <laughs> Man, you would think a year later we wouldn't still be talking about fruitcake. <laughs> I mean, it's only been a few weeks. But you know, there's one thing about it. It's 2020 and you can see it clearly. <laughs> well, on that note, everybody, we appreciate you joining us for your very first official patreon related bonus episode and again thank you for being a patron of the show Um, there are multiple tiers out there do whatever you feel comfortable with if you are happy just donating a dollar and and giving it to the show so that we can continue to you know keep 
Eric happy and and pay for our website and and the hosting platforms and all that stuff. We appreciate it. You're not hearing any of this because you only paid a dollar, but hey, we appreciate it anyway. um, There's the $5 tier, which is where you come into these bonus episodes, and we definitely love you for that. There are tiers above the $5 tier. Use essential oils and the $5 one? The five, yeah, that's where this, what this is. Okay. But I mean, so the. But how are we going to mix and how are we going to oh, mix Oh, no, no, no. See, that, do, that would come oh, into one of those training and education videos, oh, and that jumps on up there price wise in the tiers. Oh, um, but yeah, so there are, I have uh, award winning essential oils that you can use. <laughs> that he bought. That doesn't count. <laughs> that totally doesn't count. But we do appreciate it, everybody. Thank you very much. And there will be more episodes on the way, so please stay tuned. But until then, you guys be good and be warm. Be safe. Make it rain. Bye. Make it rain in Australia. They need it more than they need it more than we do. (laughs) Hey, family. Thank y'all. Bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.